Well, please turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, Hebrews chapter 11. And if you need a Bible, then get the attention of Len or Larry or Jean, and they will get one to you so that you can follow along as we look at Hebrews 11. We also have an outline for the message that's inserted in your program. I encourage you to take a look at that as we consider verses 23 to 29 of Hebrews 11. When I was a kid, the uh, daredevil motorcyclist, Evil Knievel, was at the height of his popularity. Often on Saturday afternoons, ABC's Wide World of Sports would feature Evil Knievel racing his motorcycle onto a ramp, and then he would be flying over a string of cars or of buses. He's hoping to land on two wheels, which he did most of the time. Though throughout his career, it's said that he broke uh, no less than 37 bones. And we kids were enthralled with this. Now, you've got to remember, this is before the days of cable. Whatever wide world of sports dished out on a Saturday afternoon was pretty much what you you got to see. And it was before the days of extreme sports or places you could go to participate in extreme sports. So we were enthralled with all this, and we did what any kid would do. We, We tried to copy it. We didn't have motorcycles, and so we used our bikes. And so all around my neighborhood, you'd see these little ramps set up with bricks and then a piece of plywood. They were in the driveways and in the alleys and on the streets. Me and my brother and the kids in the neighborhood would all do it. I asked my younger brother to lay down in front of the ramp, and I would jump over it. And he started to do it. And he said, hey, why don't you lay down in front of the ramp and I'll jump over you. Thankfully, we decided to forego the bodies and just measure how far we could jump. One of Evil Knievel's uh, most infamous attempts and stunts was in 1974. Some of you might remember the Snake River Canyon stunt in, in Idaho. There was a small river that was housed in that canyon, and this thing was... Uh, just relentlessly, endlessly promoted and built up. And the day finally came, and it was a colossal disappointment for all of us. We thought that he was going to do what he always did, ride his motorcycle and jump this canyon. But he had built this sort of makeshift rocket that went up into the air, and then a parachute came out, and he landed barely into the water at all, let alone across. And nevertheless, that created a whole new thing to copycat, trying to jump over water. I grew up in Ecorse. There's a creek that runs through town called the Ecorse Creek, appropriately. It runs adjacent to the baseball field where I spent endless hours in the summers playing baseball or throwing rocks at the kids on the other side of the creek. Now, you need to understand, I know that sounds bad, but the other side of the creek was Lincoln Park. I mean, there was really no, we really had no choice. There was nothing we could do. One kid, not me, promoted that he was going to jump the creek on his bike. We all gathered on the appointed day, but as I recall, he, he chickened out. Now, only kids think you can do what you see on TV. I mean, they are the ones at whom, after all, the warning is aimed, do not try this at home. Mature adults know that there are people who are especially gifted or especially crazy 
to do the things that the rest of us cannot and should not. This is not for everybody. It's only for certain people, and it shouldn't be attempted by regular people. It's for entertainment purposes only. Now, these are all good reminders when you're watching an action movie. But it's my experience that many people take that approach to the Bible. This is not to be done at home. This is only for certain people. Only for certain extraordinarily gifted people. You can be entertained by it. You might be thrilled by it. But you are not expected to do it, to emulate the kinds of motivation and the kinds of faith that you see in the lives of these people. And so the Bible's full of stories of people who did extraordinary things, but the unspoken assumption on the part of many of us is you shouldn't try this. It's only for those certain people. The stories you read are God's stuntmen, highly trained and equipped. We should not think that we have anything in common with them. They're extraordinary people, and so they did extraordinary things. Now, I believe that many of us come to Scripture that way. And I want us to just pause for a bit to think about whether or not we unconsciously do that when we read the Bible. I read about a Moses, as we're going to read today, and I see what an extraordinary person he was. And I'm thrilled to see how God worked in his life. But what does that mean for me? Am I supposed to do that kind of stuff? Am I supposed to exhibit the kind of belief and faith that we saw in an Abraham who was willing to obey God at the highest cost? And then we excuse ourselves. And we say, this is not for everyone. Not to be tried at home. When you read some of the things that are said, it's somewhat understandable that we come away with that notion. Some of the things that are said about Moses. No prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. And so you might be excused for thinking, well, that's Moses, but I can't try. I can't try that at home. Or the Lord says, when a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But that's not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Because God allowed him to see his form on Mount Sinai, you'll remember that when Moses descended from the mount, his face shone because he had been in the presence of the Lord. This Moses was Israel's lawgiver. Virtually everything in their religion recalled the name of Moses. Moses was Israel's historian. Moses wrote the first five books in your Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Moses was considered the greatest of the saints, the greatest among God's people. Notice what the Bible says of him. He was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. And in fact, he was Israel's greatest deliverer. His accomplishments are chronicled throughout the second book of your Bible, the book of Exodus. And so one might be forgiven 
if you read about a guy who's described that way and say, I can't emulate the kind of belief, the kind of trust, the kind of faith, the kind of motivation that we see in him. But that forgiveness ceases when you're reminded that God includes the story of Moses. And God includes the details of what happened with Moses so that you and I will see what they did and, in fact, emulate the kind of faith that they carried throughout their lives. Hebrews chapter 11 is for that very purpose, telling us that these are the people of faith, including Moses and all of those that we've seen over the last few weeks, and calling us to emulate that kind of faith in the field of endeavor to which the Lord calls us. And so we're going to look at what God says about this extraordinary man, Moses. But we're going to see this about him. That the remarkable thing is that though these are very ordinary people, including Moses, through whom God chose to work, the truth is they were ordinary people who accomplished extraordinary things, not because they were great, but because they followed and obeyed an extraordinary God. Let's bow before we look at Hebrews 11, verses 23 to 29. Our Father, we thank you that we can look at the life of your servants and today the life of your servant, Moses. We thank you that we can see in them the kind of life that you call us to live in our time, in our circumstances, in our situation. And so at the outset of our time together, looking at your word, Lord, help me and help us to reject the idea that says that was good for them. It does not apply to me. Help us to see that it is your very real intention that this be done at home, that it is not for entertainment purposes only. And so, Lord, help us to look with open minds and open hearts at what you have for us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I call your attention to the outline that we've inserted in your program, where we see in the life of Moses, first of all, that believers, believers, that includes you, that includes me, we see God at work in a number of ways, the first of which is in specific people. Notice verse 23. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, the extraordinary actions that we're going to see in verses 23 through 29, there are five of them mentioned. And the first of those five does not have to do with Moses, but rather first, Moses' parents. By faith... Moses' parents did something. Specifically, they hid him for three months before he was born and then were given the reasons that they did that. Now, you'll remember the circumstances under which they hid Moses. Pharaoh had become distrustful, concerned about the number of male Israelites that had been born in Egypt. And so he issued a decree that all of the male children were to be drowned in the Nile. And implied in that edict from the Pharaoh was anyone who fails to comply will his or herself forfeit their own life. And so there are actually two commands that 
Pharaoh had given. Pharaoh gave a command to kill your male child. But he also gave the command that anyone who fails to follow what I've said will be killed themselves. And that explains why the writer of Hebrews could say at the end of verse 23, they were not afraid of the king's edict. Because the truth of the matter is they hid the child. So it would appear that they were afraid of the king's edict. If they were not afraid of the king's edict, they might parade the child around and say, the Lord's going to take care of me, watch. So they knew that Pharaoh meant business. They knew that he meant business such that they they hid the child. So how can the writer of Hebrews say they were not afraid of the king's edict? They were afraid for the child's life. They were not afraid for their own life. They were willing to disobey the order of Pharaoh in order to see the work of God move forward. Now, what was that work of God to which they were privy? Verse 23 tells us. They were motivated not out of fear for Pharaoh, but the middle of verse 23, because they saw he was no ordinary child. Now, some of you may have versions that say, because they saw that he was beautiful or exceedingly beautiful or something to that effect. The NIV says they saw that he was no ordinary child. I won't bore you with all the reasons, but there's good reason to believe that the NIV has it right when they say they were motivated by the fact that this was a special child on whose hand God had placed to do later extraordinary things. One of those reasons is that God constantly tells us that man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks where? God looks on the heart. And God would later reprimand Jesse, the father of David, for the fact that he was looking on the outward appearance in his his sons. And so these parents of Moses, the Bible does not tell us how they acquired it, but somehow they came to understand that God was going to do something extraordinary through this child. And because they understood that God was going to do something extraordinary, they were willing to disobey and put their own lives in danger for the sake of the plan of God. When God is at work, hear this, friends. When we understand that God is at work, we can radically obey even to the face, in the face of death because we know that God is at work. And Moses, the Bible tells us, was no ordinary child, but unlike what that great theologian Natalie Merchant tells us, it was not that fate smiled at destiny and laughed when she came to my cradle, and said this child will be able, with love and with patience and with faith, she'll make a way. The reason this is going to be an ordinary child is not because of fate or destiny, some impersonal thing. The reason this child is going to be no ordinary child is only because an active, living, and personal God is at work in his life. And God then had determined, I'm going to choose him, not because of him, but because of my purposes, just like he did with Abraham. And these parents then acted believing that God was going to do this very thing. And so, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they knew he was no ordinary child. They were not afraid of the king's edict. And then we begin to see what God did in the life of this child and then later this man 
a story with which many of you are familiar. Verses 24 to 26 tell us that believers see God at work, not only in specific people, but further in all of God's people. Believers see God at work in all of God's people. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Moses identified himself with the people of God because he believed that God was at work not just in Moses and the extraordinary things through which God did through ordinary Moses, but that God was at work in all of his people. And in order to identify himself with God's people, Moses had to make both a negative choice and a positive choice. He had to make a negative choice. In verse 24, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, in Greek, there is no article when it says the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It simply is he refused to be known as son of Pharaoh's daughter. And apparently it was a title that would have great prestige that would go along with it. Something like in the British royal system, the Duke of York or the Duchess of York. And it would have meant great prestige and wealth for Moses. It would have meant that anything that Moses wanted would have been at his beck and call. Wealth itself can create the illusion, friends, of genuine character and authenticity. But Moses did not fall for the lie of wealth. Moses knew that in order for him to be a person of character, he was going to have to make a negative choice first and refuse the riches and the environment of the paganism in Egypt. And so first he makes a negative choice, refusing to be known as son of Pharaoh's daughter. And that refusal created an insult for Pharaoh. Such that Moses' life would be in danger. If he stayed, we're going to see in a bit that then Moses, Moses left as a result. An insult to Pharaoh and to his entourage. Hear this. Just like Moses, if you are going to be identified with the people of God, it means this, friends, that you cannot live in harmony with the spirit of the age. And you cannot be afraid to say so. Hear this. Many a Christian today and many a church today is very interested in being identified with the culture and with the world. Because in the words of a very good book by John MacArthur, we are ultimately ashamed of the gospel. And God calls all of us to not be ashamed. He called Paul to not be ashamed. Thus Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God to everyone who believes. He calls every one of us 
to be willing to stand apart from the world and the culture and come out of it and its values and to be willing to say, I am one of them. I know you don't like them. I know that they're ridiculed. I know that they seem weird. I know that they march to the beat of a different drummer. But I am pleased to be numbered among God's people. You say, well, I'm here, dude. Clearly, I'm happy to be numbered among God's people. And I'm glad you're here. I'm glad every one of you are here. Thank God. But the test of whether or not you're willing to be numbered among God's people doesn't happen on Sunday morning. It happens at work. It happens in our families. It happens in our neighborhoods. Am I different? And do people know that I am different than the values that are expressed in the culture, the worldliness of the culture. Moses had to make a negative choice, refusing to be identified with the Egyptian paganism represented by the title son of Pharaoh's daughter. He also, though, had to make a positive choice. Let me just point out to you that the negative choices that we make, friends, the things that we refuse to do, the things that we say I will not engage in, they are to always flow from the positive things that we have determined to do. You see, contrary to what many people think about Christianity, it is not simply a list of things you don't do. There are lots of things that you don't do if you're going to walk with God and live for God. That's to be sure. But the Christian walk is not simply about the things I refuse to do. All of the things I refuse to do are as a result of the things that I'm positively trying to do. What I want to accomplish in my life for God. You see this misconception all over the place. When I was a teenager and I had my first job, I'd been there for about a year or so, and it became known within my coworkers that, that I was a, a Christian kid that I uh, went to a Christian school. And uh, so on Friday nights, a lot of times when they went out to do things, I didn't go. There were things I did not do. That became known. I remember distinctly one time I was invited to go out. And the person who invited me out said, hey, a bunch of us are going over and it was going to a bar or something like that. And then immediately the person said, oh, that's right. Your religion says you can't. Now remember that. stuck with me all these years later. Your religion says you can't. Isn't that what we think? Your religion has these rules, and unfortunately you were born a Baptist. And so you got stuck with all those rules. And your religion says you can't. See, friends, the things we refuse to do are not because our religion says we can't. The things we refuse to do are because we have a greater, a higher calling that we are seeking to accomplish. And those things can't be done because they are contrary to what we're trying to accomplish. And so it's not first what we cannot do and refuse to do. It's first what we seek to do. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your mind and with all of your soul. Positively love Him. Be holy, God says. As I am holy. And if we're going to do those things, it means we can't do other things. Moses had to make a negative choice, but he also had to make a positive choice. Verse 25. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God. Rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. 
And here's why. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. To stay in Egypt and to participate in what Egypt does specifically means I cannot follow Yahweh, the true and living God. Moses understood that. And Moses understood that although the treasures of Egypt, verse 26, which he had seen and participated in and benefited from in his own life, were great and marvelous and dazzling and beyond anything that you can imagine. I mean, just think for a moment about the riches buried with the boy Pharaoh, King Tut. And you have just some idea of the riches that Moses was exposed to. But he determined that disgrace for the sake of Christ was of greater value than that. He understood what many a young person has failed to understand. That sin has a marvelous advertising department. But it has a very poor manufacturing department. The corporation called Sin Inc., can advertise really impressive stuff. But it's not, hear this, it's not made to last. And so Moses said, I'm not going to enjoy the end of verse 25, the pleasures of sin for a short time. Why? Because he didn't believe the lie of the advertising. He knew that the stuff did not last. He knew that the thrill did not last. It's therefore he made a positive choice to be disgraced for the sake of Christ because he saw it as of greater value than everything that he saw in Egypt. Hear this. When the ten gazillion stars, that's my word, that's my number, I've counted them, there are ten gazillion. When the ten gazillion stars in the universe are just burned down flickering candles. The brightness of the church will have just begun. And you make, and I make, we make a grave mistake, friends, when we think the junk that we are attempting to follow and invest our lives in now will last and will satisfy. And so Moses as all believers, saw that God is at work in all of his people, and he wanted to be counted as one of them. And as a result of this, Moses could say, as Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. He knew that there was a reward coming later. Moses could say, as Paul said, and we must say, we do not lose heart no matter what's going on around us. Though outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles, notice, just a short time. And light, momentary, when compared to the eternal weight of glory. Our light, momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We do what Moses did. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. 
And the way that Moses did that was because he was constantly making an evaluation. Notice that word, evaluation. It means you are determining value. Evaluate. And when he evaluated Egypt and its pleasures and following Christ and being identified with his people, the choice then was clear to him and he made it in faith. Follow Christ and be identified with his people. Now, there are some of you here who have been faced with choices to align yourself with God's people. And for various reasons, you've refused to do that. Part of aligning yourself with God's people in our day, we're in the church, we're not in Israel, we're not in the same situation Moses was in. They had a a race of people that were called God's chosen people, and he was part of that, and he identified himself with that race of people. How do you identify yourself with the people of God today in the church? One way you do that, one very clear way you do that, is you being willing to join and to say, I'm part of it. And I'm not just part of it on Sunday. I'm part of the people of God. And I'm separate from the people who are not in his family. I love them. I interact with them. But it's a different set of people with a different set of values with whom I align myself. One of the ways you do that is you join. I simply say to you, friend, if you've been refusing to become identified publicly with God's people, ask yourself, what's keeping you from doing that? Well, if I do that, they're going to want me to, they're going to want me to like, get involved. Let me just say it's worth it. That Christ is worth it. Or if I, if I do that, that's going to mean it's going to cost me in some other way. My family is going to ridicule me. I have to get baptized in order to join your church. I already asked you about that, Brown. And that just really looks stupid to be in front of a bunch of people and get wet. And I'd be really embarrassed by that. But friends, Christ is of greater value than your embarrassment. I heard one pastor say recently at a conference I attended, he said, you know, if we can't follow Christ in that, we can't follow him in anything. We're just asking you to lay back in warm water, he said. Real quick. And I can't do that for Jesus. And I can't use my gifts and abilities for Jesus. Friends, consider that God's people are to be identified with at all times because believers see God at work not only in specific people, but in all of his people. Thirdly, believers see God at work over human power. Notice verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, how is it that Moses is able to stand up and incite the king's anger by refusing to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and thus ends up leaving? And yet he has the courage to do that. Verse 27 says he did it because he did not fear the king's anger. Now, Let me say that Moses left, so there's a sense in which he did fear. Because there's a sense in which he would not have left if he didn't have at least some amount of fear, of understanding that he was in a dangerous situation. And so he left because of that. 
But that was not the motivation ultimately for why he left. The motivation ultimately for why he left is given in verse 26 because suffering for the sake of Christ was of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. And then what he showed when he left was a perseverance and endurance in that faith that had begun back in Egypt. And that's why verse 27 tells us he persevered. Why? Because he was a man of faith. He saw him who is invisible. Remember verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11? That faith is the ability to see what is not seen with the naked eye. And that's why in each of these points in your outline, notice I say believers see God. They see God at work because God has said, I am at work in these areas. And so we are able to see with the eyes of faith what God has promised. Believers see God at work over human power. Let me just make a few applications of this and we'll move on. Friends, that has application to the way many of us see the power of our government today. Now, what do I mean by that? I'm concerned that many believers see the power of the United States government as so great and so mighty that we are consumed with what's happening in Washington. Now, do I care what's happening in Washington? Sure. Should I be a good citizen and vote and be informed? Absolutely, and so should you. But you know, ultimately, what happens in Washington is not my greatest concern. And who occupies the Oval Office is not my greatest concern. Did you know that? And whether or not I'm going to be able to have all of the rights that I have today is not, it is not, my greatest concern. Now, is it a concern? Sure. Do I thank God that we have them? Yes. Do I pray that we will have them into the future? For sure. But it is not my greatest concern. Because there is no earthly power that compares to the power of the God who is on his throne and with whom we will reign one day. And so those of you that are so immersed in that have got to shift your priorities and what you see as most important. It is relatively important, but only relatively Ultimate importance lies in our God, our King, and His coming kingdom. Moses was able to say this to Pharaoh, that I do not want to be identified as the son of Pharaoh's daughter and have the courage to leave because Moses was able to tell this is not the city. Egypt is not the city. America is not the city. We're still looking for the city. The city is still to come. And because we can see the city and we know the difference, we don't get immersed in the kingdom that is now. Jesus said, if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. Believers see God at work over human power, whether Egyptian or American or Iranian or whatever. Fourthly, believers see God at work. To fulfill his promise, verse 28, by faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. You all know the story that God sent Moses back to Pharaoh 
in a confrontation to let my people go. Pharaoh hardened his heart. He refused. And God said, I will see that the firstborn of Egypt is killed. And my people will be preserved by sprinkling the blood on the doorpost of a slain lamb to atone for their sins, to cover their sins. Believers see God at work to fulfill his promise. Now, what promise is being fulfilled in all of that? Well, it's a promise that goes back all the way to the third chapter of your Bible, where God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between your offspring and that of the woman, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's going to be one who's going to come through the seed of the woman who is going to crush the head of the serpent, Satan. And God made that promise in Genesis chapter 3. And then he revealed moving forward that that promise is going to be fulfilled through a particular line of people beginning with Abraham. And one of his descendants is none other than this Moses we're referring to. And so we have, we have this line of people, the Jews through whom this one is going to come. And the one who wrote that promise in Genesis chapter 3 is none other than Moses. And Moses believed that promise. And as a result, he obeyed God with regard to the Passover night and the sprinkling of blood and then made a declaration. This is a day that you're to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Do you see the faith that's being expressed here by Moses? This enterprise will not fail. We will be saved. We will be rescued. Why do I know we'll be saved and rescued? Because God has promised it. And God's people, believers, see God at work to fulfill his promises at all times. And then finally, believers see God at work in the preposterous. And the word preposterous actually means what I wanted to say. But I have to admit, I was looking for something that started with P. Well, put your own word in there. The crazy, the unbelievable, the blow your mind. And believers see that God can do that as well. Notice verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. You remember the story. Pharaoh, in his anger, comes after the people after God with a mighty hand had them released from bondage in Egypt. And they are pinned against the water, the Red Sea. And as they are pinned against the water, this is what the people say to Moses. Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? They go on to say, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. There's this man of faith. This ordinary man through whom God is going to do extraordinary things. And he's being confronted by the faithlessness in that moment of his people, his own people, with whom he forsook the treasures of Egypt to be identified. And he says to them in faith, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance of the Lord that the Lord will bring you today. 
The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And you remember what happened. God did the preposterous, the unbelievable, the incredible. And they walk through the midst of the sea on dry land. They make it to the other side and the Egyptians try the same thing and they are drowned. Friends, God's people see him at work in the preposterous. You say it can't work. And so let me just make some application with this. We'll conclude. But let me encourage you to cease being a person who regularly says all the reasons it can't happen. Listen, there are plenty of people, there are a dime a dozen, who can tell you all the reasons it can't happen. What we really need, and I will just tell you personally what I need, what encourages me, are people who say, you know, that's a big vision, man. That's what one author called a bag, B-H-A-G, a big, hairy, audacious goal. That's crazy. We can't do that. But you know what we need to become? People who say, let's pray. And let's work together. And let's figure out how it can be done for God's glory. I encourage you to cease being a person who constantly says all the things we can't do. We can't do it. We don't have the money. We don't have the people. Focus on ministry, friends, and instead of talking about what we cannot do, immediately say, let's talk about what we can do to work in order to get it done for God's glory. I thank God for the people who have shouldered the work here, who believe in our God and his power to see people come to him and saved and to see his church advance. But if you're one of those who has difficulty seeing what God can do, be reminded from the lives of servants like those of Moses. Now, what was the ultimate secret to all of this? Verse 27 tells us. Moses, at the end of verse 27, was able to persevere because he saw him who is invisible. And I do not believe that the ability to see the invisible is something that's reserved for Moses or superstars. It's the essence of faith. To be able to see with the eyes of the heart what is unseen with the eyes of the head. That's what faith is. And it's what we are called to. To believe God's promise, to believe his work in us, to believe his work in others, to believe his work in fulfilling his promise, to believe in his ability to do the incredible. And believers, those who have faith, are believers who do that regularly, day in and day out. Moses gave up the treasures of Egypt for a greater cause, more valuable. As we conclude, let me remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ gave up the glories of heaven for something valuable. The extension of the glory of God through the lives of people that he would come to save. So, though he were rich for your sakes, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 9, for your sakes, he became poor. He came to rescue you. The one who was pictured in that Passover. God's anger passing over those 
over whom he sees the blood. That blood is the blood of Jesus. And the blood must be applied that he sacrificed, must be applied to you individually. And when that happens, he gives you new eyes to see radically different. He gives you a new heart, new priorities, and new values. And so we offer you opportunity to receive what he offers. His blood on the cross for you, paying the cost of your sin, covering every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit, past, present, future, and offering a new life in relationship with him. Realize you're a sinner. Recognize what he did for you. Repent of your sin. Commit to follow him with your life and receive him into your life. We're going to bow and pray. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior, I encourage you to pray a prayer like this, not a magic formula from your heart to God. And he promises to change you from the inside out. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for these moments in looking at this passage of your servant Moses, a passage that has so many themes and sub-themes and such richness to it. We're not able to do it justice in the time that we have. But we thank you, Lord, that we are able to see your message for us in the fact that you are at work in all of these people and in all of these circumstances. And that this is not just for the Green Beret Christians, a special category of believers, a special portion of your people. But rather it is for all of us to be people of faith, to be those who believe and believe the same things that they did, that motivated them. And because of which, you chose to do extraordinary things through these ordinary people. I pray that we would be people of that kind of faith, Lord God. Be pleased to work in us to do these mighty acts in our day. To see the miracle of new birth given to more and more people and lives changed into the image of Jesus because there are a group of people who believe God is able and they are willing to sacrifice lesser things for the greater glory of our God. There are people who have seen over and over again in your word what you can do and your power. So we're not people who say it can't be done. It certainly can be done if our God wills. And so we bow before you, Lord God, and we ask you to do these things in us and through us and help us, Lord, to be faithful with the work that you've given us in order to see it happen as people who believe that you can and will glorify yourself through your church. We pray all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.